Yeah. The fact that they are making money is it, that it, that's the decline of Western civilization right there. Yeah, we thought it was bad when it was just the uh, Jersey Shore. Yeah, or make a porn tape, you know. Uh, done. Have you? Have you? <laughs> Episode 22 of On Taking Pictures. We're a weekly podcast. If you've been tuning in all this time, we thank you. We really love having you along for the ride. We're talking about the art and the science of making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, and with me is fancy portrait photographer Bill Waldman. <laughs> Somebody said something about fancy the other day. Who was it? We get a lot of requests, so who was no, it? No, 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 no. Something completely unrelated to... This maybe it was on one of my shoots last week, and somebody referred to what I do as fancy, <laughs> and, and I was like, "You have no idea." <laughs> fancy doesn't even begin to yeah. cover it. It's, it's you're, 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 yeah. Where have you been for the past twenty-two episodes? Bente dos, <laughs> bente dos. Um, yeah, how you doing? I, All right, I, I'm a good. I'm okay. I'm a good. Uh, we are. Um, we're recording on Monday. Yes. Uh, but I don't know if I'm going to put it out today or tomorrow. So if you guys, you know, are expecting to send us feedback on Monday for the show tomorrow, you guys are got another thing coming. Uh, you got to be quick to yeah. catch this train. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm okay. Uh, lots. Of, we have, man, we got a big rundown today. We have a lot of stuff. Huge, huge show. A lot of stuff. Um, you want to start with, uh, with viewer mail? Or viewer listener? mail. Sure. <laughs> listener. Yeah. Who am I? David Letterman? <laughs> Uh, listener mail. Okay. Well, uh, what do we got? We got a, we got a few. Uh-huh. Uh, you want to start with the workshop one? Yeah. Um, you know, somebody asked, where, where is he? He's, uh, this would be there. Uh, no, that's the website one. Workshops are a big thing. I'll, I'll talk about this for a minute. Workshops are a big thing with photographers, right? Yeah, they are. Okay. So here, here it is. Nicholas writes, he says, uh, I'd like to hear both of your takes on workshops I get the sense that many of them are just excuses for photo hobbyists to go on trips and to have arranged photo experience with a leader who may or may not be hacking it as a professional based purely on their pictures. However, I've seen several world press photo winners who extol the virtues of workshops they attend led by Magnum or uh, 7VII7 agency photographers, for instance. What, if anything, makes a workshop worthwhile for either of you? Well, what do you think uh, should go on at workshops and uh, at what point in their development as photographers should people go to workshops? Assuming you think they should go to workshops at all. Great podcast, blah, blah, blah. That's what Nick says. Um, what do you think? As somebody who has done a couple workshops myself. Led them, you mean? Led them, yes. Right. I, I can't rag on workshops as a general rule. Um, I think that I think that face-to-face, hands-on talking and interaction can be a very valuable thing. Sure. I don't know that – I will say that there are plenty of people I've heard and talked to who have been to workshops of big people and kind of said, wow, that was a big waste of my time. Or I just sat there in the audience and watched Joe Schmo set up some speed lights and figure things out just the way I would have figured them out. When right. I came to see him because he knows more than I do. Right. Um, I, I have, I have a, I have similar experiences with some that I've been to okay. where I, and I won't mention names, but there are a few that 
you do. You, you end up sitting in a big audience and you go, huh, okay, well, yeah, that's not much more than I could have gotten from the website. I think the ones that are 200 people in a theater and people up on stage, uh, if it costs a lot of money, I don't think those are worth it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there are plenty of things online that you can sit there and watch if what you're going to do is just watch somebody. Sure. Um, I think that there are, you know, I went to one, they have, what is, what is the big photo show in New York? Uh, photo plus maybe that's coming up, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I'd never go to these things, but last year, two years ago, I don't know. One of the things a couple of years ago, I got invited to one of these, um, where a bunch of manufacturers buy out like a ballroom and okay. uh like a, a studio space and then they showed off their gear and then there was like wine and cheese or whatever and then there was like three or four people doing little mini half hour talks you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and one of them was this photographer woman who did uh like water photography like splash kind of stuff okay and you know she had one that looked like you know paint that ended up looking like a shoe or you know like whatever you know, sort of uh, freezing time kind of shots of, of liquids, fluids and stuff. Okay. And I, I was like, okay, wow, I'm really fascinated. Let's see how she does this. And she had, you know, her little medium format camera set up and she was showing off the new, I don't know, their brown color or pro photo or something or rather that at a very fast flash time, short duration as it were. Um, and then they showed her like throwing fruit into water and then she was getting those shots. You know those pictures where it's like, oh, here's like this orange slice that's like halfway through the water, like causing sure. a wake, you know? Sure. She was basically shooting that. And I sat there for 15 minutes, watched her and her assistants throw fruit into water, and then her to go, okay, go, throw the fruit, snap, throw the fruit, snap, throw the fruit, snap. And I'm like, okay, that's exactly what I would have done. Right. This is the woman who gets paid tens of thousands of dollars to do this? It's like what you and I and somebody else could do in my kitchen, you know, like there was nothing about what she was doing that taught me anything that I couldn't have intuitively figured out on my own, you know? Well, it's, it's definitely, I mean, workshops, any workshop, really, what you're going to get out of it is directly proportional to who's leading it, right? Yes. And how much you put into it and how big, and how big the size is. I, you know, I did a, I did like a lighting workshop here in Brooklyn in the spring and, uh, I had, I don't know, six or seven attendees and i rented a studio in dumbo which is uh brooklyn underneath the brooklyn bridge and i got a model and i you know we would do setups and then each of them would get a chance to take some pictures with the setup we did or move lights around and if they had an idea we'd go and try that so it ended up being four hours of sort of i mean yeah i was talking but it worked out better when everyone was working on stuff or if they had questions or, or, you know, a lot of people though, they want to go to these things because they, they want, they want to hear the stories. They want to hear, uh, the, 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 the step-by-step, um, problem solving, you know? Right. They want to go and come away with the juice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the long and short of it is it's not going to happen. It's still going to end up you finding your way, whether, whether, you know, Joe McNally or, or whoever gives you A plus B equals C, when you go do that on your own, your A plus B may not equal C. Yeah. And you know what? You may not like A or B. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, the stuff that, the stuff that I was doing was more about, 
showing people how to think about light, not telling them specific setups to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. I think about light and why, you know, soft and hard and distances and, and, and angles and, and fill and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's stuff that you can learn on your own. And I think that up to a certain level, you, you, you don't need somebody to tell you or you should, or the big, the big thing is just to keep trying or, or, you know, look at lighting diagrams or look at photographs and try to recreate them. I mean, that's one big thing I do a lot. Mm -hmm. I'll see pictures by a particular photographer and I'll be like, Oh man, I love the light he got in that. How the hell did he do that? You know, when we were talking about the Dan winter stuff a few weeks ago, right. Um, you know, Oh, okay. Yeah. He's using a ring light for Phil. Oh, he's got an umbrella over here. I could tell that. And, Oh, and then he's, he's, he's putting these, uh, scrims up so that it's, you know, diffusing on this part of the image, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, and I think well, one, once at a certain point, that's what it's about. Experimentation, sure. you know? Sure. Because the, the problem with coming away with the A plus B equals C is that if you find yourself in uh, a situation where you can't use that that formula, you're lost. Yeah, yeah. Because all you've been doing is duplicating, you know, kind of what you've learned at at this workshop or or even out of a book or whatever, rather than accounting for variables, your own yeah. variables. For some people, though, it's 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 about giving being given permission to experiment, mm-hmm. and maybe. If you're at a workshop and somebody is saying, look, move the lights wherever you want. Let's see what we can do. If if we slide this one all the way around the back, like, is that interesting? Right. And a lot of people just don't, don't ever do that on their own. And so sometimes, you know, if they're, if, if, if they're doing this, either they're professionals or maybe they're, you know, some lawyer who likes to do this on the side, who doesn't right. have time to sit around and experiment all the time. And he wants to actually learn how people do things and how people think about things and, you know. Uh, he's not as obsessive as I am, maybe, you know. Um, yeah. You might as well get something out of my obsessiveness. Yeah, and and I think, you know, if we're going to say, are workshops useful? Are do, are they helpful? Of course they are. Yes, they of can course be. They are. Yes. If, if you can walk away with, with one or two uh, pieces of, of information or advice or recommendations for a new piece of kit that you didn't have before, then sure, they're they're absolutely helpful. Uh, I tend to find the more collaborative, smaller groups helpful for the way I learn Yeah, rather I, than just sitting in the audience watching. I would never lead a uh, a workshop that was bigger than, say, 10 people mm-hmm. personally. Because, I mean, once you get past 10, then there isn't a lot of hands-on time and then there isn't a lot about interaction and it's really about you just putting on a show. Right. It becomes PowerPoint. Right. At, exactly. At, at that level. Yeah. And, that's, and that's no fun, you know? Um. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's that kind of stuff kind of drives me nuts a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, they could be useful. I have never been to a, a workshop other, like I've never paid to go to a workshop. Um, but then I've never taken any sort of class or education in photography. Right. So, um, I'm an, I'm an odd person. I'm an autodidact, I guess is the thing. Like I like to learn on my own. Okay. Um, I also don't like going to classes in the gym, you know, like I'm, I'm the kind of guy who wants to go on the treadmill on my own right? and do the weights on my own. Um, but some people love classes. Some people learn in communal situations and, and for those people, sure. You know, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars on a class at ICP or whatever the equivalent would be in LA, you know, like a, a photo school. So 
what's the difference between that and spending a couple hundred dollars with a photographer who, you know, really knows his stuff. I think you should go with, if you're going to do a workshop, you should go with photographers who either have seen perform as it were both their work and like I've seen YouTube videos of them talking or something and you like their right. style. Right. Some people are great photographers, but can't talk about it at all. Some people Absolutely. can talk about it, but can't shoot for crap. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a big, uh, yeah. big gray area in there. Yeah. Just because you like someone's photographs doesn't mean that they're going to be able to communicate their vision, their creativity, or even their process to right. you yeah. effectively. Yeah. And you know, it's, uh, you know, going back to the, to the question where he says, you know, some people are, are some workshop clinicians just failed photographers who can't make it on their pictures. And I think that maybe some of them, I think that nowadays in the world of professional photography, it's getting harder and harder to, um, it's getting harder and harder to do, uh, just make your money on your pictures. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so some people have to, go and, 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 and do this kind of stuff. I personally don't like that trend. I'd rather get paid for the work that I do rather than talking about the work that I do. Right. Um, but you're right. A lot of, I mean, big name photographers have taken to workshop tours or writing a book or doing a DVD or all of the above right? to help close the gap. That's, that's just yeah. getting bigger. Although I think that that I think that that market is getting very cluttered. Mm -hmm. The workshop market, the workshop market, the book market, the DVD market, you know, mm -hmm. like that stuff. There's a lot of them out there. And, you know, what makes your special and it's all about marketing and all that kind of stuff. I, I just want to take pictures, you know, I want to, mm -hmm. I want to get into that stuff. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. But you know, it's, 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 it's the wave of the future, you know? Unfortunately, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're the better for it because I think it's 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 creating more noise and less signal. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with that too. And that's yeah. and that's kind of what it's upsetting to me. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I hope know. that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, this is from David Rab. How do you pronounce his last name? R a b o i n. Uh, Rabouin. 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 David, I hope we're not butchering your last name and apologies. I'm we sure are. we are. Uh, I really sure enjoyed. You, are. <laughs> you would never, but I will. I really enjoyed episode 21. Jeffrey's comments about web design for photographers really resonated with me. But Bill's My, comments didn't. Thanks. Uh, apparently your commentary was, was not even worth mentioning. Thanks, David. Uh, my portfolio site is hosted by Photo Shelter. I've been a member of Photo Shelter for a year. I like their community and aspects of their service. However, I'm totally unhappy with their page templates. My website is almost unusable when viewed on a phone, and it's hard for me to display my portfolio without reverting to Flash. Uh, before I joined Photo Shelter, I did a lot of research, and Photo Shelter seemed like the least bad place to host my website. Wow, that's a bummer in itself that it came down to the least bad place, not the best. Yeah. Uh, but that's another story. Now, after a year, I'm frustrated and want to try something else. Do you have any suggestions for a photographer who wants an appealing website but doesn't have time to learn HTML? Keep up the good work on the podcast. I really enjoy it. Thanks, David. Okay. Uh, now, before, David, before you throw out your idea. Uh-huh. Can we Wait. can we discuss the distinction between a community and a like different port different websites for different folks, right? Sure. Um what 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 are you trying to do with your website? 
Some people and that should be question number one. Yeah. Um, for me, my website is there to show off my work and to show it to people, potential clients. Sure. Right. And not just potential clients, but certain kinds of potential clients, editorial and commercial clients. Right. Um, who expect X, whatever, whatever X is there, there is an expectation that your clients have of a website that they then leverage to help their choice. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and you know, how, how you show that. And we've discussed this, you know, on other shows where we talked about the whole single image versus multiple images versus whatever. I also don't update my site more than maybe like once a month, I'll swap out a picture or two. Mm-hmm. I am not putting up huge galleries. This is the shoot with Joe and Schmo. Right. Like some people are putting up new stuff all the time, like all the time. Um, and I, uh, you know, and it just kind of, for me, that's not my game, right? They're basically using it as Flickr plus a, and a portfolio, right? right. Uh, where do you come down on that stuff? Well, I, to your point, I think the first thing that you need to do is decide who who is this for and who your audience is, okay? And, and what do you want this to be? Does it need a blog component? And if it does need a blog component, are you going to be an active blogger? I myself, though I do have my own site, am horrible and haven't updated and posted anything forever because I post everything at Faded and Blurred. Um, so, it, and in some ways, I think that hurts having, you know, very few updates there. Uh, so if you're going to, if you're going to do a blog component, find something that's, that's got a robust blogging solution. Um, or my do what default, I do and have two separate things. And exactly. My default position is if you're going to have a blog, you use WordPress end of story, uh, because that's what works well for me. Uh, I've tried Joomla, I've tried blogger and for me and what I want out of a blog site, WordPress comes out on top. It's flexible. It's fast. It's user-friendly. Uh, the thing is, is that are, huh? some guy who doesn't know HTML, are they going to be able to set up a WordPress blog? Or you say even go to WordPress and get davidrabowin.wordpress.com or whatever. Uh, yeah, or or there are a number of different templates that are specifically geared toward photographers that are very easy to customize. The, the new hotness in, in WordPress themes and trending in WordPress themes is the, uh, the inclusion of uh, user admin panels where you, instead of learning code and swapping out pieces of code in PHP files or whatever, most of the good themes now uh, come with uh, pretty robust admin panels where you can select and upload your logo, select a color scheme, you know, and very quickly and easily customize these templates. Whereas even a couple of years ago, uh, they were kind of a pain. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the trend is for thirty nine, forty nine, fifty nine dollars, you know, you can get a, a very customizable WordPress template that that has this built in ability to host image galleries, uh, even subdirected image galleries, uh, password protected image galleries. They can connect to uh, third party fulfillment services. Uh, are, there, are there ones that can pull in, say, all your data? You could keep all your stuff on Flickr or Photo Shelter, and it'll go and grab that, like scrape it and pull it into your thing. Uh, I'm sure there are. I've not experienced it. Uh, I guess the I'm, other option is something like, say, Squarespace, which sure. is hosting and content management, like a CMS, all in one. Right. And they have a lot of gallery functionality too. You're, yeah. The pro- part of the problem is that you're talking to Jeffrey and I, who are kind of nerds. 
and do our bit. own thing, uh, build our own stuff all the time. Um, For but, a managed solution, I've heard fantastic things about Squarespace. What, what have you heard about? What, is LiveBook still around? I think LiveBooks is still around. Um, the last time I even looked into LiveBooks, they were still doing primarily a Flash solution. And, and admittedly, it's been quite a while. I don't have any reason to look into them, really. But the last time I looked at them, well, let's look at them right now and see what, what their thing is. Um, that was a thing for a while, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Live, LiveBooks was, was a great solution. Uh, looks like... It was expensive, though. Well, see, that's the thing. I guess expensive is relative, too. It is relative. Some of them, you know, what, what are their packages? They have packages starting, they say, at enthusiast designs from $9 a month, emerging designs from $19 a month, professional designs from $39 a month. See, 40 bucks a month. That's a lot of money. Know, it, unless you're making some money as a photographer, you know, if you're an enthusiast or a part-time photographer, that's, that adds up to a lot of money. 600 bucks a year, right. somewhere around there. So, um, you know, it, it really comes down to, oh, this is funny. Uh, live books uses Joe McNally as, as their sort of poster boy for all their themes or for a lot of their themes. Joe McNally's on live books still. I can't imagine that he would be, but okay. But that, still, that gets yeah. back to our whole thing of how a lot of these big photographers have terrible websites. Uh, a lot of them do, unfortunately. Cause yeah. they're too fancy to update them themselves. So, um, yeah. My advice would, would be, you know, decide who your market is. Uh, if, you, if you need a portfolio and a blog, then either find a solution that does both of those very well or, like Bill said, you know, have one set of hosting for, for you know, your portfolio and one set for uh, your blog. Um, I know that sites like, like Zenfolio and, and uh, SmugMug are customizable, although SmugMug has caught a little bit of flack. Actually, I've caught a lot of flack uh, for raising prices quite a bit recently on existing users. Like I think 50% they've raised it or something. That's it's, a lot of I, money. I, don't, I don't know if it's 50%, but they, they caught a lot of flack for it. Huh. Interesting. I didn't know that. But I don't keep track of any of that stuff. I feel bad about it. So I guess, do we, did we give a definitive answer? So your own hosting plus WordPress or say Squarespace or what else you got? Um, I, you know, those are really the only two, two choices for me that you go to a managed hosting, something, an all in one thing like a Squarespace, or you try and do it yourself. I mean, a lot of the hosts, like I use HostGator down in right. Austin. Right. And I think I pay like $8 a month and I have six or seven websites running off that $8 a month. Right. You know, where if you did that on Squarespace, you'd be paying a hundred dollars a month. You yeah. Know? At least. Uh, so there's, there's that, but I am also manually doing a lot of stuff. Although a lot of that cPanel stuff does, will go and install WordPress for you automatically and stuff. Right. Right. A lot of cPanels use what's called simple scripts now, and it's literally a one click install it creates the database it connects the the database to the wordpress install uh and then it's a matter of of you know installing extensions or plugins right uh but that's another thing in and of itself is is but you, you could know, pay some guy a hundred dollars to do it for you and then you know yeah if even that friend of yours who's a nerd yeah everybody has at least one friend that's a nerd sure uh and i know and, i do yeah <laughs> you have yeah probably more than that i know jeffrey for god's sake there you go 
yeah, so, uh, David, I hope that helps. If not, uh, send us in another message or call in or something, and, and we'll try and, and help you some more. Happy to do it. Uh, we like helping people. Yeah, it's good. What, what is this movie you found? This, this Lost Memories movie? Yeah. Uh, kind of neat. It's one, one fellow French guy created this movie, and he's kind of making the point of what would happen to our photos if, uh, you know, an EMP blast went off or just some weird solar flare. You know, everything's electronic. Everything's okay, digital. I, I've watched the movie, and I think that there's two statements in there. One is the stop looking at your phone when you have a beautiful girl next to you. That's definitely the other statement, sure. Um, and then there's the, you know, if everything's digital, then what happens when the world ends and there is no digital? Right. I think that, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> could it happen? But- sure. But you know what? You could have an identical ad talking about how your house burned down and you lost all your pictures. Oh, you didn't lose the ones that were on Facebook because Facebook's on 100 servers around the world. Sure. So you could go. Um, the, that's much more likely than there's going to be an EMP pulse and everything digital is going to disappear. Sure, a little bit of a luddite uh, kind of look, right? What What impressed me about this is this guy. You know, this guy's a one man crew, right? Yep. He directed it. He wrote it. Uh, did all the digital effects. Did all the editing. Did all the post on a 5D Mark II. Good camera, and, and that is. Uh, exceedingly impressive to me. And I think you're seeing a lot of these one and two and five man crews that are producing some superb results using off the shelf hardware, off the shelf software uh, and getting results that five years ago, you know, would have taken a crew and a whole lot of money to do. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Somebody said to me today, I was meeting with this woman and she says, you know, you use a 5D, right? And I was like, yeah, 5D Mark III. And she's just like, you know, I had a friend of mine ask, um, you know, is, is that a good camera to take portraits with? And I was like, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, what? I said, let me put it this way. The picture you see of President Obama that's everywhere, the official photograph of the president was taken with a 5D Mark II. Right. So yes, it's fine. But that, I mean, it also is the thing where any camera is a good portrait camera if it's the camera you want to use. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's nothing about cameras nowadays. It's not like a specific camera only does one thing well or, you know. Right. This is the camera you get. There are certain features that may appeal to certain types of shooters. Right. But But you're not going to be handed a camera and go, well, you know, if you want to shoot football games with this, you might be in trouble. Yeah, you need to get the football model. Right. Um Anyway, just it was just an interesting little thing. Uh, yeah. I, I thought the movie was very well done. I thought it was cute. I think that the guy did a great job. I, just speaking from the message, uh, I just think it's interesting. Sure. Yeah. And that. And and again, my my big reason for just kind of bringing it to your attention was I, I was blown away by this. Is basically a one man studio. Yep. People could do and that, and that is amazing to yeah. me. Well, you know, at the beginning when he's first kissing the girl and he's taking a picture of himself kissing the girl, Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, are you kidding me? Is he really making the point that we should take like, and then then it turned around and it became an anti taking pictures all the time thing. But for like half a minute, I was like, wait a minute. He's not, he's not going there, is he? Cause I'm just going to rip this guy a new one on the show. Yeah. 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 Um, luckily he inverted and then, and then the, you know, the whole Oh, well, she used a Polaroid and therefore her images still exist. Um, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. 
maybe. Um, you know what I mean? She should have used a Leica. Ah, oh, Leicas. You Leica's, like the, Leica's the new hotness. It's, it, what's old is new again. Leica has always been the hotness. You know who uses a Leica? <laughs> Lay it on me. Your girlfriend, Ann Curry. <laughs> My girlfriend. Well, you know, she tweeted me the other day. No, uh, that was a while ago. And it was, it she was tweeted tweeting. you multiple times. That's true. It was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, she uses an M9. Leica, there was an article in the Must Times. Must be nice to be Ann Curry. Yeah. Uh, in the New York Times about how, and I kind of disagree with this. I don't know that I disagree with it. I mean, I can't disagree with it because it's, it's happening, but uh, that Leicas are becoming almost fashion accessories for celebrities. And I, I'm kind of pissed off about that. There's a great picture of uh, Bruce Springsteen with one too. Yeah. Well, Wait, where, where did you read this? This is in the New York Times. New York Times is talking about how Leicas are fashion accessories. The New York Times in the fashion and style section of the New York Times. So the I would latest. be fashionable and stylish if I pull my like out and start using but, it? Yeah. Uh, the, according to the article, the latest status symbol in Hollywood, it seems, is not the 8 p.m. reservation at the Tower Bar, but the Leica M System Rangefinder, a retro chic camera that has become an accessory of choice for the celebrity class on red carpets, film sets, or vacation. There okay. it is. Okay. I, I, I take offense to a number of things in that sentence. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> Retro chic, fashion Wadman rent. It's the original else. effing thirty-five millimeter camera. It's not. Re- it's not chic anything. It's not retro. It just is the original. <laughs> Buckle it's, up, kids. It's this not, get ugly. It's not trying to be retro. It just hasn't changed in eighty years. Um, oh, that drives me nuts. Because then it's like, oh, Leica makes these cameras for people who want. No, Leica just makes the camera that they've always made. You know, and on top of that, the new one, the new Leica M, I guess it's just called the Leica M, which right. I don't like the fact that they removed the number. If you want to make a new one, make the M10. Let's go. Sure. You know? Or how about you just keep making the M9 for a while? Um, it just shows you how ridiculous and short sighted everyone is. Um, has live view and 1080p video. And there was a that's, there was that's a not good. There was a picture on The Verge of a guy like basically taking a picture with his Leica like it was a, you know, like uh, an iPhone, like an iPhone. And yeah, I pulled it out in front of him. I swear to God, I considered finding a knife and slashing my own wrists. <laughs> like we're trying to keep a clean show, so I'm not going to swear. But are you effing kidding me? <laughs> so, no, Miley- you do not use your Leica with the screen in live view mode. That's why it has the greatest viewfinder, rangefinder, that has ever been put on a camera. And, oh, God, that makes me sick. It's You know what that is? That's like these Ferraris that are like in, like automatic being driven by like soccer moms. You know, that <laughs> whole thing? It's like, no, that's not what that's for. Um, yeah, there's a great shot of Dakota Fanning with one around her neck. In some ways, it offends me that this is even a, like a uh, – it offends me that that, that – that Leica feels the need to put this crap in their cameras in order to compete. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's, that offends me too. John Mayer's got one too. John Mayer's all right though. Cause John Mayer's been a photographer for years. He's, I mean, okay. he likes Leica's and he's got a big camera collection. It's like Ben Folds is really into cameras too. And he's right. been into cameras forever. Um, I, Oh that man, that dry, that pisses me off. That doesn't piss you off. Yeah. A little bit. Not piss me I off love, like I, I actually have skin here, in the this game. This quote is great. 
Carrying a Leica around can be a little like driving a Bentley. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you're a good driver. Uh, okay, that's that's fair. Uh, you know what the problem with it is? Is that, well, first of all, they're not that expensive. You know, you could you can buy a Leica. Like my Leica costs, you know, a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks. And then mm-hmm. again, the question is, oh, are the rich, are the retro chic people who are using film Leicas cooler than the ones who are using, you know, that thing? The, the digital Leica yeah. versus film Leica. Oh, oh, you use a digital Leica. Oh, that's so cute. You know. And hold it out in front of you. I think that rich people having <laughs> fancy cameras has always been a thing. You know, sure. There, there. I bet you two thirds of the Leicas that have ever been sold were sold because somebody wanted a really high end, cool looking camera. You know, to sure. people who don't know how to use them either. Um, I am, however, all for uh, Ann Curry having one though. <laughs> you could have stopped that. You're just all for Ann Curry. I am. Um, yeah, John Mayer's Leica M4 is exactly like my Leica M4. Uh, I was actually showing Jeffrey before the show on video. It's almost identical and I love my camera. It is a thing of beauty. It really is. But you know, um, I don't know. It's just, I don't think it's about, maybe it's about fashion for these people. Maybe, you know, it's, if they're getting into photography, I'm all for it. But the whole thing of Leica trying to become like a modern camera company the reason why they're still around, the reason why they're special is the fact that they're not trapped up in this rat race. Well, you, you saw the blowback race. that Hasselblad got for their... That new Hasselblad thing that's like a $20,000 point and shoot? Yeah. It's a it's a $20,000 Sony NEX, basically. It's stupid. It's and they're stupid. like, well, we do use Sony components, but that doesn't mean it's a Sony. Well, you're using a Sony sensor. You're using the Sony viewfinder. You're using, you know, come on. I, I I don't like it at all. I I don't like it one bit. I like I, I'm all look. I'm all for you know. Uh, <laughs> you laughing at me? <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> Am I an old curmudgeon? Is that what this is? <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> That's what it feels like, right? <laughs> I I guess uh, no. You know what it is? This an article like that that starts out like that. Is to me, see, but Elizabeth Shue has one, and I love Elizabeth Shue. Um, is is to me a a it's it's like a it's a reporter trying to make a cheap uh, uh, link bait. That's what that okay. is. Okay. As was the article you showed me yesterday about whether digital SLRs are dead. Right. Wasn't that funny? That's link bait too. You know. Yeah, it is. There's a reason why people like viewfinders. Maybe there's a point at which more people will like looking at a screen versus using a viewfinder, but I don't think that makes SLRs dead. You know, Framing things by having your eye and just seeing that is a very different experience. Sure. Will it go away for... Who knows? Maybe. But are they dead? No, they're not dead. How many professional photographers do you know who don't use an SLR? Right. And they're not just using it because, you know, oh, the, anytime I pick up... I've used... Um, I've used the little Sony ones I've played with. I've played with the Fuji X10. Is that one? Is that like one of the smaller little the new X, ones? The X100, I think? No. Which one is the smaller, cheaper one? I think it's the X100. Okay. That, that's the smaller one. and the It's the Pro X1 that's, that's the bigger. And then there's an X10. Ones. There's three of them, I think. Right. And now okay. there's an EX1 that just came out. Okay. I, I use the 100, I think. My friend Randy okay. has one. And I didn't like it at all. 
It it felt like a like a Canon G10, like one of these like you know little things. There's there's shutter lag. The whole thing feels like you're it feels like you're controlling a uh, a computer, not taking a picture. You know, okay. It feels like you're holding a computer, not a camera. Uh, I don't like trying to uh, line up the shot with a screen. I don't like making decisions on exposure based upon a screen. Um, I, it, it's, it's, it's just very awkward to me. I feel sure. like it's, it's like, it's like, um, trying to use a screwdriver with big gloves on, you know, it's like okay. boxing gloves on. It's like, this is, this is silly. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it, I don't know for me, it's, it's, it's the wrong way to go. And, it, but I think that the article about it is link bait, just like this is a link bait article about, Ooh, look at all the fancy people. If this was old people now using, or, or, you know, random kids in Brooklyn using Leica's or whatever it is, this would not be the thing it is. It is because it's a picture of Ellie Larder and Dakota Fanning and seal with a Leica, you know, right. like that's suddenly cool. Will that, will that still be the thing five years from now? Maybe it's a fad. Maybe it's a fad. Leica's have but gone there, through there fads certain, before. There are certain actors, musicians who have are really made into an, photography. Yeah. And, and are good. Really good. You know, who's into photography and really good. Who's this? Ann Curry. <laughs> is she? I've heard she uses Leica. Actually, you know that video. Did you watch the video? I did. Uh, one of our one of our listeners, I think it was Nick, sent that in. Uh, yeah, where was that? Oh, actually, no, it was. Uh, it wasn't. It was uh, George or Jorge or George Quinteros uh, sent it in. Yeah, I. You know, it's she's sitting there and she's going to war zones and she's reporting on what she's reporting on, but she's also taking pictures with the Rem Nine. Which and and she talks about it is like it's the thing that gives balance to her life. It's something else that she does besides work and family, right? And She's I think doing that's it great. For her, in yeah. fact, I think yeah. that that video is actually really nice. And she actually has a good eye. Those pictures are good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know what? Here's the thing: Ann Curry's a better photographer than most of you are. <laughs> There's the show title right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Wow. So, and, and what does that say? You know, that says that Ann Curry's good at, uh, you know, taking pictures and good for her, you know, um, is, is, yeah. And one thing I like about it in the video is she referred, she doesn't refer to them as pictures or photos. She calls them photographs. What do you think about that? Do you think the semantics mean anything? I think to certain people they do. I remember, uh, David Dushman writing something about it on his blog. David Duchovny, what? No, not David Duchovny, uh, David Dushman, uh, writing something about it on his blog, saying that that the nomenclature gives it meaning and importance. And I think it can, but I don't think there's anything offensive about saying, you know, photographs or photos or, you know, pictures. Yeah. Um, snapshots, do you, maybe. Do you think that it gives you, it gives it weight to call them photographs uh, in a I good think, way? I think it depends on the person. There are some people who only refer to movies as films, and that kind of annoys me sometimes. Yeah, but not like uh, Marty Scorsese, who refers to them as pictures. Yeah, that, that, that that's different. It's yeah. I don't know. It, it Plus, film on is just context. an incorrect thing now that things aren't made with film anymore. Unless you're that's like calling that's like saying the new Ben Folds Five record. Yeah, which is actually unless, a, unless you're Chris Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> you mean the Luddite. I'm just going to refer to him as the Luddite from now on. You know, he, he doesn't have a phone, like a cell phone either. Are you serious? Yeah. He Does says he drive he a car have. or use modern medicine? 
Does he believe that the Earth was created 10,000 years ago and that humans were placed on it in exactly the same state that they are today? Wow. Don't, please, don't, don't, don't pursue that. I'll let it go. Anyway, celebs liking Leica and Curry, that's all good. I like the fact that she calls them photographs. Um, good. And somebody else. I will, I will let her know in our next Twitter conversation. <laughs> yeah, I got to write her. I got to take her portrait. She's going to look at my work that I own and be just like, yeah, I don't let anybody take my portrait who's not a better photographer than I am. And sorry, Bill, you do not make the cut. <laughs> you just didn't make the cut. Uh, so there's this uh, uh, a, a friend of the show wrote in to tell me uh, about this Instagram article, which I had missed. Uh, photo- it's called Instagram colon photography's antichrist savior antichrist savior or something in between look that's a that's a bit dramatic isn't it it's, it's link bait it's all link bait that's the problem with the internet man it's all link bait um are some of these pictures good yeah they're great is it because she uses instagram no she if she was using a Leica m9 they'd be even better right you know um this is just it's just a tool i it all comes down to vision it all comes down to vision, and I think it all comes down to to editing, whether that's choosing to take a picture or uh, or or choosing what to post, being more selective about it. I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's one of the big things, even in that video with the guy and the girl and the whole you know, EMP pulse thing. Right. You know, there's this sense that, oh, the Polaroid picture she took is more important than all these other photos that he took. Because she only took one, you know, and there's, and somebody could say, well, that's because, you know, it's a film camera, whatever it is. It's like, no, that's because she chose to take only one picture. If she had a pile of Polaroid film in a box behind her, she could take all the pictures she wants. You know, it's being selective about what you take pictures of and just take better pictures, take less pictures, take better pictures. You know, I think that's fine advice. Um, and, and, and I think that that's a big part of all of this. Sure. Um, I, I remember not long after you and I met, you, you, you said, you know, think of each picture as if it cost you a dollar or $5 or $10. Right. Would you still take it? Yeah. Would you still press the shutter button if that photo was going to cost you $10? Right. And that's the way, in some ways, that's the way you should think about it when possible. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I think the tech, it's like the whole thing on that side by side where they said, oh, you know, we don't like digital because there's no breaks for them to swap the film out and we never get a break or whatever it is. It's like, well, did no one, nothing about digital says somebody can't say, all right, let's take a break for five minutes. Right. Like the fact that there were built in breaks because you did the film out. Okay. Well, that's, that's a, that's a issue of the director and the set and just coming up with a reasonable way of working, you know, that gives people a break every once in a while, but that's not sure. the fault of digital. You know, the, the director could certainly say every you know, every hour we're taking a 15 minute break because you guys right. need to decompress. Right. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. The digital camera doesn't have a gun to his head. Uh, I don't know. This stuff's weird. But anyway, it, it's, it's, you know, yeah, Instagram, it's great. It's terrible. It's the best. It's the worst. You know, nothing. It's new. exactly what you make of it and exactly what you let it be in your photographic journey. The The thing that... Phone cameras are not great cameras, but they're great in the fact that you almost always have them with you all the time. Sure. And I think that that is the most important thing about them. You know, um, 
are, are the images you're going to take with your phone, uh, these Instagram things, are these the things you're going to print out? You're probably not going to print them out. You know, yes, Sports Illustrated used them in a thing. We talked about that like in E1, you know, or E2. Right, right. Um, but I think that that's just sort of a, ooh, look what we can do. You know, it's like news stations using Twitter hashtags or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just trying too hard. Ugh, crazy stuff. You want to take a minute? Calm down. Very, very angry about that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> um, hey, I bought a little thing. <laughs> That's good. Because I, I didn't want to take my big thing out with me all the time. There um, you go. Uh, so I wanted Triggers, a little, right? Yeah, I wanted a little wireless trigger for my trip out west in a few weeks. And uh, I wanted something that I could set up on a tripod with Heather and I out in the woods, say. And I could go and instead of using a timer, be able to go get in position and go, you know. Right. Um, so this is like a little RF? like a uh, IR. IR? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, there are, I think, RF ones, but this is an IR one. Um, and a lot of these, it used to be that the old Canon cameras, I had one of these similar thing for my original digital rebel. And then when I got to my 5d, they removed the sensor from it to do the IR stuff. So you had to plug in this contraption on the side that cost a hundred and something dollars. It was like this big racket. Hmm. So I never got one, but it turns out they added it back to the 5d two and the 5d three, but I never got one. So anyway, I looked in the thing. And it's the Canon ER6 or something like that is the is the official name. Um, but the Canon one's like 40 bucks for like this little dinky thing. And so I was like, you know what? Let's see if there's any aftermarket ones because it's a stupid little piece of plastic, right? Right. So on Newegg, they have this company uh, sells – it looks identical. Like it very well might be the same exact OEM that makes the Canon one. Wow. Um, makes one with a different logo on it and it's seven dollars nice and it works fine and there's a little and you, you got it looks just like the, the i've camera. got it i well, i've never held the camera canon one so i can't tell say exactly what it looks like but pictures make it look identical hmm. and it's got a little switch on the back and you can switch it from instantaneous to two second delay oh wow so you put your camera in remote mode like which is sort of the like any of the uh, both of the um uh, timer modes respond to the, to the, the clicker. Okay. So you put in timer mode and you go, you aim it at it and you go, chuk, 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 you take pictures. Um, or That's you, cool. or the two second thing, you click to two second mode and you click it. And two seconds later, the picture gets taken and it worked perfectly. And I just saying that, uh, you know, this is a stupid little $7 thing, but it, you know, could be useful when you're trying to, you know, this would be good for too, is like night photography. Sure. Or landscapes where you have it set up and it's a long exposure and you don't have a good tripod, you know, where you can don't have to touch the camera in order to take the picture. Yeah, we've uh, we've got the little Nikon one and it it wasn't expensive. I think it was, I don't know, $10, $12, something like that. Is it actually made by Nikon? Mm-hmm. Oh, so Canon is just gouging all of us. <laughs> Maybe. Um, they got to pay for all the R&D for that new 40 megapixel 3D camera they're coming out with. Yeah, you know what's kind of cool about that new camera? Uh, so yeah, there, there's a rumor of like a 46 megapixel EOS camera um, that apparently has a larger than full frame sensor, something like that. Meh. You don't think it exists or you don't care? I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I don't care except for the fact that I would love to have one. <laughs> uh <laughs> Wait, oh, no. You know what it was? It's not a bigger than full-frame sensor, but it is 16-bit. Right. Which kind of, of 14 Which kind of brings it into sort of medium format territory as far as, like, color depth and stuff. Um, 40, 46 megapixel. They say it's going to be shown off on late October at Photo Plus. 
Any price yet? Uh, no idea. This is like eighteen thousand dollars. Well, it could be it could be fifteen grand, twelve grand. Actually, you know what? It might it might be ten grand. It might be eight grand. You know, maybe they'll lo- lower the price on the one DX, or right? who mm-hmm. knows what it's going to be. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the D eight hundred. It's more almost more of a studio camera than anything, right? Uh, forty six megapixels in a thirty five millimeter body. That's insane. That's big. You know, I, I I just question what's going to happen with with pixel density uh, at that at well, that level. Well, okay. Well, here's here. There's multiple problems with that. One is that it's all about technique, and and I'll tell you a little bit about technique stuff in my little story at the end about the stuff I shot last week. Um, and then the other thing is like diffraction, right? You can't. There's a point at which you won't be able to stop this camera down past a five point six without it getting softer. Right. In which case you're blurring across across pixels, and then what's the point of having the extra pixels anyway? So right. the the usefulness of the 46 megapixels becomes much less important. I mean, the same thing happens with the D800. You know, if you go past stop down past a certain point, you're you're like you're wasting pixels. But yeah, whatever. Um, you you traded in your iPad though. I did trade in my iPad. I mean, not that this is a gear dun, show, dun, dun. but this is just interesting because you traded it in for what? Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I had an iPad first generation, which arguably was underpowered when it first came out. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yet you bought it, it anyway. Yet I bought it anyway. And, and at least I bought it like two months before the iPad 2 came out. So that was nice. Um, good, good choice. <laughs> a long list of good choices I've made. So, I, you know, I, I use it for media consumption. I use it for, you know, reading Flipboard and, and email and social things and, you know, watching Netflix movies and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, Apple decided to leave it behind in terms of I, uh, iOS 6 uh, propagation. So the, the iPad 1 doesn't get the RAM. iOS. Maybe. But doesn't the 3GS have less? Um, the, the difference is yeah. the 3GS is, is a current product. You can still buy a 3GS. That's probably what their thing was. And, you can uh, no longer buy an iPad 1. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. So I, I, was, I was thinking about selling it uh, just on Craigslist or eBay or something and, and uh, ended up trading it in at GameStop, who had uh, a, a fantastic trade-in special on it. And I got a Google Nexus 7, uh, which... It was kind of funny because I, I'm, I'm usually the person that takes an extraordinarily long time to make a decision on buying things. I research them. I, I re-research them. I read reviews. I talk to people until people are sick of hearing from me. Uh, but in the case of this one, I, I thought about it on Friday and Saturday went and picked up the 7. And Jeff, Jeffrey's an adult now. Look at that. Isn't that weird? And ha- I don't have any buyer's remorse about it. It's actually a pretty fantastic little device. I, I I must say I really like it a lot. I've heard nothing but good things, especially for a buck ninety nine. Yes, and that's the other thing. Is, is if it was two ninety nine, would it be worth it? Um, if it was two ninety nine, would it be worth it? Maybe at two ninety nine, I'd like to see either three G or four G, and maybe an SD card slot. Okay, there there there's supposed to be a three G version coming out. Yeah. Uh, but for what it is, you know, sixteen megs uh, or, or sixteen gigs of RAM. Um, it's, it's customizable. You can drag little widgets to the screen and, and kind of tailor the experience to a certain extent to how you use the device, which is something that 
I've been lamenting that Apple doesn't allow you to do from the beginning. Uh, and you can uh, say use Google Maps. Oh my god, big difference, big difference. <laughs> um, and the Gmail app you like? I, the Gmail app on the Nexus Seven is, uh, in my opinion, the way it, it's the best Gmail experience I've I've seen. The yes. best Gmail implementation I've seen, bar yep. none. Yep. And that's including the PC. That's including the Mac. That's including iOS. That's including all of it. It it functions the way Gmail should function. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 one of those things where if you're used to say the mail on iOS and you are using Gmail through mail on iOS, drives me nuts. Although the yeah. new mail is a little bit better. Um, new mail is a little bit better. Sparrow is is better still than than yeah, even the new mail. Yeah, but you can't get the uh, uh, notifications with Sparrow. Right, right. And so uh, that that sort of kills it for me. Uh, yeah. And then Google bought Sparrow and hasn't decided what they're doing with it. Um, no, great so, device, though. Anyway, so yeah, so you like it. it pictures look good on it? Uh, pictures look fantastic on it. It's a 1280 by 800 screen, which gives you, I think they said 216 pixels per inch. So it's it's not quite what Apple's calling a retina display, but it's higher yeah, it's, uh, it's fine. per pixel resolution. It's fine. Yeah, it looks beautiful. And And if you're showing images like full screen, you still have those three little dots, though? Uh, I believe so. That's the only thing that I don't like about Jelly Bean, that there isn't any sort of like completely full screen way of shutting off all of the Chrome. Uh, there may be. There there are uh, other launchers and app launchers that, that take the place of, of yeah. the default or Maybe there's a better and, image viewer that yeah, does it. there might be. And, you know, if you need to, you can root the thing. You can, you know, get into system level controls like we were talking about. Um, I probably won't do that, but, you know, like you said, for, for a buck 99 or for, you know, two and a half for the 16 gig, it's a really fantastic little device. Yeah. Kind of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should talk a little bit about Red River. Red River paper. We love Red River. We do. Uh, You know, we we have a lot of users. Yeah. what, what, Go ahead. I what, talked over you. I'm sorry. No, it's my bad. Uh, the the it's a couple of a couple of our users wrote in saying that they're getting their uh, their sample packs in, right? And they're loving the polar mat. I uh, think yeah. The overwhelming yeah. majority. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in your dreams, mm-hmm. um, I think that they're saying that I am right, and that the uh, the Red River uh, Satin <laughs> Ultra Pro Satin is the way to go. But you know, you can be a judge yourself. Um, if you go to redriverpaper.com, you can go get some paper. Uh, we're going to have some, you know, we're going to, we're going to make, uh, what's his name? Send some emails out or, uh, send some free kits out again. Okay. You think that's good? I think it's very good. Okay. So last week or two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, we had you guys email Drew Hendricks. It's D Hendricks, D H E N D R I X at redriverpaper.com. And uh, tell Drew that uh, you saw put OTP in the subject line and say that you want a free sample pack, and he will send you a free sample pack for the first ten people that email him. Um, Here, here's the thing: once you, you know, we talk about it, and yeah, once you we, go Red River, you never go back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, once you get this stuff in your hands and and just see what it what it does and how it uh, produces, um, I think you're gonna be you're gonna be fans and you're gonna switch. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that Epson paper is not good. It's not to say that HP paper is not good. And if you've got the money and want to buy, you know, the Hanamiel, uh, papers, that's great. But I think what you're going to find is 
for less money, you're going to get just as good, if not better results. Yep. And what's wrong with that? I love Red River Paper. Uh, in fact, my entire portfolio is printed on Ultra Pro Satin, and I, I brought the prints with me this morning at a meeting uh, with my agent, and she was looking, flipping through my prints, and she's like, you print these at home? And I was like, yep. She's like, oh, these are really beautiful. I was like, yeah, they are. Good stuff. Yeah, it's good paper. Um, so uh, let them know. And if you go to Red River Paper, uh, or is it Red River Paper slash OTP? RedRiverPaper.com slash OTP. Yeah. You will come to a landing page and there are codes in there for you. So when you decide to buy some, uh, you can get, I think, 10% off uh, your next order using OTP as the code. Sure. Uh, anything else you want to add there? No, just, uh, you know, let, let them know how much you love the polar mat. <laughs> see what you did there 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 it is um so so how, how'd the shoot turn out you rented a lens i you know i had two shoots last week and they were interesting i rented a 70 to 200 from uh calumet now just know that at, at that particular moment there are going to be a ton of listeners who go wait why don't you own a 70 to 200 uh, I used to own a 7200 F4, the Canon, the the $700 one or whatever it is. Um, I didn't find that I ever used it. So I sold it, uh, I don't know, three years ago. And uh, I my longest lens is my little 24 to 105 zoom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, but see, I don't shoot events. I don't shoot things far away. I'm not shooting people who aren't looking at me, you know. Um, but as I said last week, I got a call from this magazine I do work for. And they asked sort of as a little favor if I can cover this event for them because they were kind of in a bind. But that Philip Glass and Michael Turner, who is the – Philip Glass is a composer. Michael Turner is the uh, physicist who came up with the concept of dark energy. Um, That just sounds ominous, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, he's an ominous guy. No, he's not. He was a sweetheart. Um, But I figured, you know, if I can get into the green room and maybe sit them down for a few minutes – that would be a great opportunity because uh, Philip Glass is on my sort of wish list of people to take pictures of at some point. So I rented this this lens from Calumet, which, by the way, they were really good. I, you know, I that's don't, what you said. Quick, I don't right? rent gear that often, and if if I rent gear, it's usually rented for me by a producer or somebody else, or it's at a studio where somebody you know I give a list of the stuff that I need, and it's there when I go to take the picture or whatever. Um, I don't usually go in and have to do it myself. Not not like, oh, I have assistance. I just don't go rent lenses all that often. Um, so I, 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 go, I called up and they were just like, yeah, we got one. We'll put it aside for you. And I go in and, you know, they basically mark my credit card to $1,500 or whatever they think the lens is still worth and, uh, and give it to me, you know. Um, and so I went over there early. And it was a very, very dark room that I was going to be shooting in, even with the lights on in the room that I was going to be shooting the event, which is, it was basically the two of them up on stage discussing the intersection between art and science. That's essentially what was going on. And, uh, I was shooting at, uh, at all the way open at F 2.8. I was shooting at, uh, 3,200 ISO mm-hmm. at like 150th of a second, you know, with IS. Mm-hmm. So there was not a lot of light, you know, I was wide open at the slowest shutter speed. I feel comfortable doing when people are moving and I'm shooting at 200 millimeters. Uh, and I was still at 3,200 ISO. So and you're, you're handholding or monopod or anything handheld. Just handheld. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a man does. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> After you, you know, slew the bear to get into the place. <laughs> um, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Um, and and so it was. So I get there early, and uh, Chuck Close shows up because he's there to come see the show because. Uh, he's good friends with Philip Glass and Chuck Close like zooms in on his little, well, not fast, but he zooms in on his wheelchair, uh, which can go up and down stairs. Right. Which was pretty impressive watching him sit in a wheelchair and have it walk upstairs. Um, that is pretty amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, so Chuck Close is there uh, and then uh, Michael Turner gets there and I get introduced to him and we go up to the the the, the green room upstairs which is we were in this uh like arts club off of Gramercy Park in in New York and which is basically an old sort of Victorian mansion kind of thing that got turned into a club and there's sort of a restaurant on the bottom floor for members and then there's other rooms upstairs where there's they do shows and talks so and whatever lots of dark wood and leather yes exactly that's what okay. it is right okay and Tiffany ceilings and that kind of thing and big sure. spiral staircases cigars and brandy yeah and or at least probably back in the day it was cigars and brandy yeah yeah um so we go upstairs into this room where apparently the uh, the actors' equity union was created. Apparently, it was like you know formed in this room that we were in, which is kind of hmm. cool. That's kind of neat. Yeah, and um, I go up there with me and and Dr. Turner and the guy who was the host of the show, who was this alumni of University of Chicago. And I said, uh, "Hi, you know, Dr. Turner. I'm Bill Wadman. I'm the photographer. That's going to be some taking some pictures for the magazine. Do you mind if I take some portraits?" of you beforehand. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And so I had a little speed light set up into a, like a little 16 inch softbox, And I had a speed light on the camera bouncing off like the ceiling. However, this room was not that big, maybe 10 by 12 feet hmm. small. And, uh, there was the wall with the door, which had a whole bunch of other like file cabinets and stuff. Cause this was not like a room that they use all that often. And, the other two walls, once you walk in on the left and the right, were full like bookcases with glass doors on the front. Right. Like old wood bookcases with glass doors. So you have all kinds of reflection issues, right? The third wall is the front wall of the building, but is like modern with a really ugly air conditioner and like plexiglass because they were doing construction. So that was no good as a background. So I had to use these glass fronted bookcases, but then I can't shoot straight on angle. You see what I'm saying? There's there's sure. issues. So I'm taking some pictures of Dr. Turner. I said, let me just ask you a question. I said, when people talk to you about dark energy, do some of them ever look at you and, and, and kind of give you the look that you were talking about 19th century ether in the physics community, which was back in the day that they used to talk about how light had to travel through something. So it must be traveling through this thing called ether that they had absolutely no evidence for, but everyone assumed existed because it made sense. Intuitive right. sense. It, it, something had to be there. Right. So they yeah. called it ether. And it turns out there is no such thing as ether and it's not traveling through anything. It's just traveling through space. But at the time they didn't understand that. So I asked if people think that sometimes dark energy is a similar kind of creation. And he sat back and he smiled and he goes, wow, that's a really good question like that. And then he started talking and I had a discussion about dark energy with the guy who invented dark energy for 15 minutes. Nice. But it was uh, that connection that, that opened up the experience yeah. to get the portraits. Right? And, then, and then he knew that I, I could have a conversation with him and it wasn't like, so how was your flight here into New York? Snap, right. snap, snap. Right. So Dr. Turner, where do you live? Snap, you know. snap, snap. Do you yeah. have any kids? Yeah, snap, exactly. Snap, snap. I, yeah. I'm not that guy. Right. So we had, we had a good time chatting and I'd got some somewhat decent pictures, you know, fine for whatever it was. 
Um, and then Philip Glass knocks on the door and walks in. Now, I, I, so I Philip Glass is on my wish list. One time, I don't know if this was during the show or before we started the show, you know, months ago, uh, Philip Glass sat in the, I was on the subway one time. Philip Glass sat down right next to me. On the subway. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, actually in front of me, there's kind of like these two seats that are 90 degree angle, you know, from each other. And mm-hmm. Philip Glass is like sitting in front of me, like in profile. And I'm like, this is just weird, <laughs> but he was wearing a suit and he was, you know, working. So it was the kind of thing where it's, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, um, yeah. So the guy's old though, right? Philip Glass is like 80 years old. So he doesn't look 80 years old, but he is 80 years old and he is a little bit of a space cadet, I think. And so he sat down. I said, you know, uh, Mr. Glass, do you, do you mind moving over here so I can get some pictures for the magazine? Hoping that he would actually give me, say, 30 seconds or a minute of his attention. Right. But instantly he turns, sl- like, turns on the couch and faces Dr. Turner and starts talking to him about what. So what are we going to talk about tonight? What did you want to talk so just, about? Just not having any of you at all. Yeah. Com- almost completely ignoring me. Uh so you and were shunned by Philip Glass. How did that make you feel? I don't know that it was him being rude or him just being him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe he thought I just wanted to take pictures of them sitting there having discussion, which I did, and I did. Um, but I also wanted a minute with him alone, right? It's a nice photograph, by the way. The one uh, of them. Of the, the two, two of them, them talking. Together. Yeah, I yeah, thought that one I came like out great. And I, you know, I have to get. Once the magazine chooses which ones they're going to use, I'll I'll be able to show you guys the shot. I think it looks great. I think it looks like something out of you know Vanity Fair. To, mm-hmm. You know, like I was saying, I wanted Vanity Fairy uh, <laughs> shots. I th- I think that that one did pretty well. Um, now, did you ask him about Ira? I did not. I you know, and then at one point I was like, uh, you know, Mr. Glass, could you would you mind looking this way so I can get a couple of pictures? And he looks at me and he's kind of got his nose up at me, and I take one picture and he turns back, and it's like this awful picture of him. <laughs> um not not literally sir yeah could you yeah. could you a little more but at that point you know they were going to start the show so they go downstairs and i start doing so for the hour and a half i'm just kind of walking around the aisles taking pictures uh, of them up on stage but they had these high back chairs and the microphones were in the way so it was kind of a difficult to get the right angles to make it look like anything sure i think i did a fine job and i think they'll be okay and you know it was an experience it's not it's definitely not the work i want to do all the time right but i did i mean how many people get to sit around and talk physics with dr turner so not not a lot so the, I, i'm kind of bummed that you didn't get a chance to uh get an intro at least to chuck close that would have been kind of fun i said hi to him um but you know it's it's one of those things where he he was there on a social occasion, right? Sure. Could I take in a, you know, he was getting a drink and no one else was around and just kind of sitting there. Could I have gone over to him and say, you know, can I have a couple of minutes for you to, you know, it's like, yeah, but that's not what I want from him. I don't want to, can you look this way and let me take a picture of you? You know, it's right. more of a, you mind if I come to your studio one day and spend a half an hour taking your portrait? You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's right. what right. I want. Um, but that, you know, you and I have had that discussion a number of times. Um, so anyway, it's, 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 uh, it was, it was interesting and it was fine. Um, so th- that was, that was the Tuesday shoot and it was, it was exact kind of what I wanted, but not exactly what I wanted. Right. Um, but then, now, um, did, did you like the 200 overall? I couldn't stand the 70 to 200. Okay. Cause you're, you're shooting at the long end. It's, it's a ton of product. I, I was, shake. I was zooming around. I mean, I was zooming in and out. So, I mean, sometimes I was using it at 70 and sometimes I was always at a 200, um, 
there, there's it's I mean there's not just camera shake in the photos but just like looking through the viewfinder and having the viewfinder kind of drift because you're mm-hmm. looking through a telescope mm-hmm. I don't like that sensation like right. I don't like framing that way it just it feels like you know what it kind of feels like it feels like you're looking down a barrel of a gun and you know how like when you're shooting a target far away it's almost like your hand is naturally kind of moving around and you almost have to pull the trigger when it happens to be over where you're exactly where you're trying to get I know exactly how that feels. You shot guns yesterday. You know exactly that's, what I'm talking that's about. Right, that's right. Um, with with yeah, with Bethany. Yeah. So it it that's what it feels like to me, and I don't like. It almost feels like there is no control. That it's all about just waiting for it to be exactly where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I know okay, this so, is. I know so, this is bread and butter lens for a lot of people, and more power to you, man. Because I'll take my 28 and 35 and 50 any day. See, I was just going to ask how how did. Contrast that with the other shoot that you did where you're using the lenses that that you're accustomed to and and, and really know your way around. Yeah, I shot the 35 and the 50 and those are, you know, that's my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they look like they look because that's what I'm used to. Right. You know, that's that's the way I see the world is at 35 and 28 and 50. Right. Um, I the, the the. 7200 is great. It, I mean, it's it's supposed to be a great piece of glass. The pictures came out great, and but I, I do not want that. It's heavy too, man. How do people carry those things? What did you shoot the two of them on the couch with in the shot that you? Uh, probably a 35. 35. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd be willing to bet it's 35. Let's find out exactly. Uh, let's see. There he is. Uh, yep, 35. Uh, yeah, that picture came out nice. So you know, it's it, it. This is all. This is all just to say that it was an interesting experience, and not not everything I wanted, but not a failure. It was somewhere in between, if that makes any sense. Sure. You know, um, I don't know. Good stuff. So, I had another shoot though last week, which was uh, uh, with these people at Google who do these videos uh, for YouTube. This, like, this sort is the, of uh, the the fake Kristen Stewart girl. Yeah, that, she's part of that troop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fake Lady Gaga. Uh, I think it's barelypolitical.com. I think jumps okay. you to their YouTube station. And uh, the, the guy who's the head of it, Ben Rellis, who is uh, sort of a client of mine, I got introduced to through Zay Frank. Um, wanted to do some group sh- a group shot of ten of them, right? That's a challenge. Shooting 10 people is really hard. It's really hard not to make it look like a class photo from third grade. (laughs) Um, It's really hard uh, making it look like anything at all because, you know, usually if you're dealing with one person or two people, you have a hard enough time getting them to do what you want to do. This is doing that at, at at a, you know, it's orders of magnitude more difficult because there's all the combinations of people. Oh, she's How do you approach it? What do you, do you think? How am I going to light this first? Do you think, where am I going to put these people first? What's your... Uh, Lighting and putting people first is really what it is. It's funny because I got there thinking we were going to be able to use their studio, which they have these like little studios in the place. And uh, then I get told that Nerdist is there to film. Nice. So I couldn't use the studio. So then we were using the break room and this other like little couch area is what we decided to shoot in. And so we're setting up lights in the break room and uh, table and I put a couple lights up, whatever it is. And there's, you know, cables and whatever sliding around. I just had two big like alien bees and an octobox and whatever. It was just a pretty basic setup. Um, 
And then I hear somebody go, Hey, can, can, can we, can we, you know, is the kitchen still open? And somebody goes, yeah, sure. Neil, go ahead. And I look and it's Neil deGrasse Tyson. Do you know who that is? Yeah. 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 So Neil deGrasse the, Tyson, like walks the, by uh, me. Head of the Hayden Planetarium, yep. right? Yep. And so Neil deGrasse Tyson's there like hanging out, like chatting That's us funny. up. Uh, cause he was, uh, filming that day. Super nice guy. He's also on my wish list, which was just really funny. Last week was like mega wish list land. Was um, he filming for Nerdist? Yeah. I think he does a show for them. Hmm. Um, but it, re- it, it reminded me that I need to send him an email and see if I can get in there one day. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's one of these interesting little situations. So the 10 of them come in and half of them are dressed up in costume because that was the whole point of this thing is that they were going to be. Uh, in their like Lady Gaga costume or Kristen Stewart or one guy's dressed up as Superman, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I kind of had it lit. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things you want to make it lit like something in one of the magazines, you know, like, which is originally where the Vanity Fairy came from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very difficult to do, especially when there's 10 people and you have limited space. If you have a big studio and you can have giant lights and back them up and get a nice soft light over the whole thing. But if you're in a kitchen where you only have X amount of, there are walls that exist and you can't just move the walls back a little bit. Uh, It's not a set, it's reality. And Uh, and are you on a time crunch here? uh, Yeah, I had an hour and a half to do three setups. Okay. uh, Which is not a lot of time. Uh, And and so, hold on a second, it's reality. These are good. Um, uh, So I didn't have much time. So we set up, my friend Claude came and helped me out. And, uh, we set up, they all came in, they sat down and I shot like a hundred pictures at each setup Oh wow! pretty much. But a lot of it was just like, okay, look this way. Okay. Snap, snap, snap. Cause this is one of those situations and I hate those situations where you just have to take a lot of pictures and trust that some of them are going to be right. You know, sure. some of them are going to be where none of them are blinking right? or where all of them look good. Or, or, you know, or they match up enough where you can do a little creative compositing to make it work. Exactly. Right. right. But, but you don't, well, you want to do less of that than, than you could. Some people would shoot this thing completely differently, shoot a plate and then bring each individual person and shoot them separately. You and see then what I'm composite saying? it all and in then later. composite it all in later. Right. But uh, then it ends up looking like a movie poster, like a bad movie poster. Yeah, it can be if you're not really good at it. And 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 I that's not really the feel I wanted to get because part of it was the interaction between all these people in the room. Uh and so it it you know, it worked out fine. I think I ended up with four sort of finished images from that and then I took them in the other room and I had them stick their it was like there's these glass windows uh walls between the offices. And I had them all stick their faces against the glass, like smush right. their faces against the glass and took some portraits that way. And so there were a few there too. Um, now with, with a group shoot like this, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about connecting with your subjects, but in a, you, you've got a time crunch. You've got maybe not the most optimum location. Yeah. Are you depending on- Do you remember on, every na- everybody's name? No. Are you, are you depending on the relationship that they have with each other to provide the sort of- chemistry more than say making a connection with each of them individually. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in some ways what I'm trying to do is take a still life of an active scene. Okay. So get them to play off of each other and, and you are sort of bearing witness to yes. what's going on. Especially yeah. with a group of these people. I mean, these people are performers. It would be different if I had a, if I had 10 physicists that I had to take pictures of or academics or something that would be almost even harder. These people know how to put on a show. That's what they do for a living. 
So the half of them that are actors and performers and whatever it is, you know, tell them to act and perform and they do, they mug the faces, you know, they'll right, mug the right, camera. Right, right, right. Um, so at least then you got half of them in the, in the bag, you know, and then you're playing off the other half and trying to make them look like something. There's also all the technical issues of doing this, right? There's, there's the difficulty. You have 10 people in a small space. I have to use a wide angle lens, but that means that the people up front are way bigger than the people in the back. Right, right, right. So how do you deal with that? Well, you know, you could try using a longer lens and backing up and see if the field of view works. Or you can make sure that the people in the back are not as far back as they were. Even if they move a foot or two forward, that makes a big difference in the final image. You know, so you're, you're still having to stop down quite a bit too. Yeah, oh, that's the other thing. Then you have a depth of field issue. So now you got to stop down to at least F11, right, To in order to get enough in focus that it's enough in focus. Um and so I, I, looking at the pictures now, I almost wish I had stopped down even more, hmm. but then you lose some resolution and diffraction, which kind of gets you back to the whole thing of the 46 megapixel new Canon. It's like, well, yeah, but most of the time you're going to use it. I'm not even using all the pixels of my 22 megapixel camera a lot of the time, right? you know, except for perfect situations with a single person in a strobe. I'm not using, I'm not pixel to pixel sharpness, you know? Sure. It just doesn't happen. Like, cause there's too many other things there's, you know, camera, there's, there's, there's a sh- camera shake. There is, you know, noise, there is uh, focus issues. There's depth of field, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, then you get the pictures back and then you got to make sure that whoever's in focus and then, Oh, maybe you actually make somebody who's in focus a little blurrier. Cause really focus has more to do with relative focus than actual focus. A lot of times. So if you have part of a photo that's really in focus and part of it that you want to look in focus but is kind of just a little off, sometimes if you blur the part that is in focus, the other part looks more in focus. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. So you get you start playing these mind games, right? Um, and then and then you got to make everybody happy. It's like I, I sent those pictures in this morning. I haven't heard back yet from them to see what they think. You know, so maybe they're going to come back to me and be like, do you have any ones where Joe is looking this way or, you know, and then you get in a big giant, ugh, like I'm not getting a paid enough to look through 400 images and call this much, you know? Right. Um, and then take Joe's head from this one and put it on yeah. this I, other one. Where, I, yeah. I mean, I already did a small amount of that getting where I am now, but there's a limit right before it just becomes stupid looking. Um, and then people covering each other up and, oh, something moved in the background or I wasn't shooting on a tripod most of the time. So the pictures aren't lined up perfectly. So the parallax is wrong. You know, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of things. I did get to use my little Polaroid tripod, though. It worked good. Yeah, you just got that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the that's the rundown on on. On, on, so what what's the takeaway? What did you and which did you enjoy more? You you obviously it sounds like you enjoy the much smaller, much more intimate shoots than group shots ever. Yeah. Um, tending, there's a thing, there's two different things. One. Yes. I like these smaller shoots. I liked being in the green room with this eminent physicist for 20 minutes. That was awesome. And discussing his subject with him for 20 minutes. That was awesome. Taking his picture. That was cool. Um, a lot of why I do what I do is for those moments to meet these people, to have these conversations, you know, mm-hmm. it's as much for me about that. as It is the pictures. Um, sure. I, I like doing the large projects, the multi-person giant things. Uh, if only because it's a challenge 
And if it works out right, it has an energy that a single image of a single person doesn't have. You know, there's, it's a bigger, it's like a, on a bigger scale. It's like, it's like building a skyscraper instead of building a house. Sure. So you let go of the personal connection uh, in a sense and focus on the technical challenge. Yeah. Cause that's kind of what it is. Right. Um, and I mean, there's still a personal thing. You got to get these people to do what you want to do and you have to control 10 people then, you know, or you have to have your set, have a certain energy so that they understand that when you say, look this way, everyone looks that way. Right. Um, it's 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 all tricky stuff, but you sort of give up some control in order to have the possibility of creating something even bigger than you could do alone. It's good stuff. It was interesting. I can't wait to show you guys the images because I think the I think the group shot came out really great. I think the shot of the two of them on the couch at the first thing were really great. Um, it's fun, and it was like I haven't shot the five D three as much as I. I haven't shot it as much as I've wanted to lately. So it's fun sort of still, still sort of getting a feel for the images, the, the, the files that come out of it and how to work them and how to change what I do. One of the pictures I took of Chuck close in the audience when he was, they brought a mic out to him to answer a question. And I took a picture of him and I used like ISO 8,000 on my camera. Wow. Cause it was that dark. Hmm. Um, yeah, that kind of rich. And, uh, <laughs> and it was it was so dark that it was just ridiculous. And if you zoom into 100%, it's a little like, you know. Color uh, noisy. Yeah, it's a little impressionist. Yeah. Um, but it's ISO 8000. Right. Like, you, that's just unheard of on film. Like, impossible on film. Um, you know, two, a stop and a half past 3200. It's ridiculous. Anyway, just interesting stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, so you uh, you chose our photographer of the week this week. I did. And? I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to tell me? No, I am. We're doing Edward Steichen today. Yay, Edward Steichen. Edward Steichen. Edward Steichen is another one of those photographers that did it all. Whatever you think you're shooting that's <clears throat> fancy and, and new and has never, ever been done before, Steichen did. Go, go look through Steichen's work. 1895 to 1973. This guy lived through the invention of the airplane all the way through the moon landings. Yeah. Um, yeah, Steichen is great. And, and Steichen, in some ways, created, invented a lot of the techniques that we now take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple exposures, uh, black and white smearing, uh, some of the multiple exposure stuff is incredible. Like the stuff of the Empire State Building. You ever see those pictures? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, he's the classic shot of... He did some of the first color work that people ever actually used and stuff. Uh, his portraits are fantastic. There's the pictures of the um, Flatiron Building here in New York City that are like classics of, of city photography. Right. Um, this guy did even, everything. Even the way he posed his models. I mean, you look at some of the way he's posing the models... It's exactly how you see them posed in fashion now. Yeah. You yeah. know, with, with, uh. the, with the elbows way out and, the, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's very similar. To, we did Cecil Beaton a while back, didn't we? Yeah. Real similar. It's, it's kind of the same kind of thing where it's like, wow, Cecil Beaton was doing stuff in the 30s and the 20s that people think of now as being impressive, you know? Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, you've got him inspiring people like George Harrell with, with glamour photography. There's a fantastic sequence of shots of, of uh, Marlena Dietrich. 
Yeah. His self portraits are yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, nudes, uh, yeah. landscapes, uh, uh, abstract stuff, still lifes with fruit. There's those great pictures of um, that he did of tax. You ever see that picture? Tack? Like thumbtacks? Not uh, like the little metal ones, like the little like brads. You know what oh, I'm talking about? Okay. okay. No, Where he just, he dumped a pile of those on like a table and then lit it from like three different sides. So there's all these inter intersecting shadows. Oh, wow. And it looks like this, it, just the kind of stuff that you just would never think to do. He did them. Uh, and one of his photographs, the, the moonlight over some pond or something like that. I forget what the mm. hell the name of it is. Um, is is one of the most expensive photographs ever sold. You know, wow. one, one copy of it was millions of dollars. Uh, he also sort of invented a lot of the advertising photography that you see now. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. He has photographs of lighters and uh, 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 cutlery sets and that kind of stuff for like J. Walter Thompson back in the day where he sort of invented that, that like trying to make a lighter look like more than just a lighter. You know, right. By bouncing right. light off it and reflections and all that kind of stuff that they do now, Steichen sort of invented it. Um, had a lot to do with MoMA and like a lot of his stuff's up there. And, and, and he wasn't afraid to have awkward shadows on people in portraits too. Right. And, and some, let them go to shadow. Yeah. And sometimes he used shadows like would, would he'd, he'd shoot in such a way that the shadows would be big giant shadows behind the yeah. subjects on the wall. Uh, behind uh, that, them. There's a chaplain shot. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've got this enormous silhouette behind him. Yeah. Uh, man, Steichen is not messing around. And, I mean, and look at him. When he was younger, I looked like a movie star. Oh, he was a good looking dude. Yeah. Some great botanical shots, too. Nikki would like these. Mm hmm. Uh, anyway, just uh, uh, there, I have this great book, which is what I'm flipping through now. If you hear me flipping through a book, um, which is of uh, it's called Steichen's Legacy. Photographs, 1895 to 1973. Uh, and it's edited by his third wife. I think it's his third wife, Joanna Steichen, who was mm -hmm. substantially younger than him and really hot when she was younger. Um, Is so it still in print? Can you link to it? Uh, yeah, I'll find it and put it up on... Uh, man, he shot Charlie Chaplin a lot. Yeah. Um, I will... Uh, some famous pictures. The Paul Robeson picture in The Emperor... Uh, outfit from one of the uh, 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 what's it called? Um, one of the operas was is is really famous shot. Steichen, man, he's he's monster. And again, yeah, anything you think is cool, it's been done before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the trick is just to take something and then make it better, make it your own. That's what's important about that kind right. of thing. Right. Um. But it's a great shot if, of Garbo too that he did. Yeah, you know, in, in some ways, I think of Steichen as 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 an even more um, uh, 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 versatile photographer than even, um, uh, uh, who'd we do a couple weeks ago? Um, beaten, uh, Albert Watson, oh, who, Watson. I, who I always think of as sort of like, Oh, he does everything. You know, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. was like, he was, you know, Steichen was the original Albert Watson. <laughs> oh, here's the, I just found the shot of the lighters. That's beautiful. Isn't it nice? Yeah. That's and amazing. It's hard, I mean, hard to do that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. uh, his black and white stuff is just beautiful. Uh, and, and then some of the early stuff is all this crazy sepia stuff. I think he even did albumin prints back in the day day, you know? Um, mm. yeah. The self portrait where he's like down on his knees, like touching the floor with like camera silhouettes behind him and stuff. Yeah. That's a great shot on he's, the screens, the yeah. folding screens. Yeah. His self portraits are fantastic. I need to take more self portraits. I wish I was better looking. Then I could take better self portraits. <laughs> is that um, the key? <laughs> 
I think that's a big part of it. Either better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this guy, you know, talk about changes and like, oh, everyone says, oh, modern photographers can't change with technology or whatever it is. Man, this guy went from glass plates to film to, you know. Yeah. Color film. Like this guy moved through all kinds of multiple range. formats, multiple yeah. processes. It's, yeah. This guy, it's all about seeing. And that's what's beautiful about it. So anyway, yeah, I'll put this, I'll find this thing in the book. That's just a picture of Anne Harding. That's beautiful. See if you can look up Anne, uh, Anne Harding Steichen. See if you can find this picture. It's gorgeous. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Great lighting. If you want to learn how to light stuff, he's the guy to look at. Um, Cause he does an excellent, excellent job. Wow. Good stuff. Uh, Steichen, we were right before the show started. I said, you know, we were going to do Edward Steichen. I said, man, our photographers of the week piss me off a lot of times. <laughs> it's 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 becoming like the uh, the you know I'm going to sell all my gear and go work at Home Depot wall. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Can I can I get any money for my gear? <laughs> Probably not. <sighs> for anyway. sale, gently used Mark III. Uh, what else have we got to do? Uh, so go to Red River, RedRiverPaper.com/slash/otp. Buy some paper. Leave us some. Leave us some feedback. Yeah, email go, us. Email us. Uh, we are at. Uh, if you go to ontakingpictures.com/slash/podcast, you will get to all the show notes for the show, which will have links and uh, anything you buy through the Amazon uh, links to the books uh, help support the show. So even if you're going to go buy a toaster, go through the links from the books and then go buy the toaster, and you will help out the show with no cost to you. Um, and if you want to go over to iTunes, find On Taking Pictures on iTunes and leave us a review. We love the reviews that are up there. Man, we get a lot of great five-star yeah. reviews from people. A lot of good reviews. People like the show. Yeah. Um, so thank you, yep. listeners. And thank you for the emails. I mean, we love – we get a lot of email and it's it's a lot of fun to read. And it's it's it means a lot that this show is resonating, that not talking about, you know – on some level, what everybody else is talking about resonates and is important. And we're finding an audience and finding people that, that are telling their friends about it, you know, go listen to this, just give it a shot. And, and then they're coming on board as listeners. That's, that's very cool. We you like know, that. You know, what's really funny is that, uh, whenever we get email from people to podcast, it goes to both of us. And one of us usually responds, but we have no system for doing that. But somehow one of us responds. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's, it's like just it's, naturally it's, happening. And it's really yeah, funny. It's good. It's good. Um, so podcast at ontakingpictures.com uh, is your email address. You can also find us on the Twitters. It's at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris. E-R-Y-D-D-1-R. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I think there are links everywhere too. Yeah, people can find them. People, you know, people are smart. Go take pictures. They'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye.